It's great to see you, Purpose Church. It's so good to be together again. And today we're continuing our summer series entitled Living Hope, which is based on the book of 1 Peter. And so our series through the summer has been Living Hope based on the book of 1 Peter. The title of today's message is How to Be a Good Shepherd. And it's based on 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now this passage was written to pastors, but it applies to everyone. And I want to make that so clear. This passage was written by Peter to pastors, uh, but it is written to everyone. It applies to everyone because we all have a flock that we shepherd. Every one of you, uh, right now, all of us together have a flock that we are called to shepherd or to pastor. Now, for pastors, it's, it's a church or a part of a church. If you're a parent, your flock is your family. If you're a leader at work, the people you work with are your flock. If you're a teacher, your flock is your classroom or the students in your virtual classroom. If you're a coach, it's the members of your team. If you're a nurse, it's the patients on uh, your floor are your flock. Uh, If you're a salesperson or a social worker or a counselor, your clients are your flock. If you're in law enforcement, the people in your neighborhood that you patrol uh, are, are, you, are your flock. If you have followers on social media, then maybe that's your flock. If you're a life group or a children's or a student ministries leader, your flock is your small group. Now, absolutely everyone has what we call here at Purpose Church an oikos, the Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. These are the people in in your sphere of influence that you interact with the most, whether at school or at work or in your neighborhood or in your family, that do not yet know Jesus, and your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. And everybody has an oikos, an eight to 15, that are the people that you are, do life with in the closest fashion. And that is your flock, and you are called to shepherd or to pastor that flock. Uh, students, you have an oikos. Children, you have an oikos. I remember a funny story a number of years back that uh, in one of the small groups uh, at our student ministries, uh, a young man in high school got very excited about this oikos Um, uh, idea that we've been talking about in church. And he excitedly says to his group, he gets the word mixed up, and he says, Pastor Glenn says, all of us have an oinkus. You have an oinkus, I have an oinkus. Pastor Glenn says, everybody's got an oinkus. Well, it's not oinkus, it's oikos, and everybody has one. And another name for oikos would be your flock, and you're called to shepherd that flock. So what I want you to do, so that this message is not theoretical, I want it to be practical. I want it to live within your heart. I want it uh, to be uh, very, very practical today. Right now, write down your uh, flock there on your study outline. Uh, Write down what is your flock or lock it into your mind right now. My flock is, or uh, put it into the chat. If you're on the chat right now online, uh, put it into the chat. What is your flock? And everything I say from now on, applies directly to you. I want to show you from God's word how you can be a good shepherd to the specific flock that God has assigned to you. Everything I say from now on is for you. How can you be the best shepherd possible to the particular flock in this time, at this moment, uh, that God has assigned 
to you. Now, let me just say, God needs you to be an especially, especially good shepherd to your flock over the next 65 days. He needs you to be an especially good shepherd to your flock for the next 65 days, uh, leading up to the election in November. The next 65 days are the Olympics of shepherding. This is the moment you were made for. This is why you were placed as the shepherd, as the leader, as the pastor over your particular flock. The next 65 days are, is the Super Bowl. It's the uh, NBA Finals. It is the Olympics of shepherding. And God needs you to bring your A game, your best effort as you shepherd your flock uh, for the next 65 days. Now, when you combine, the reason I say this about the next 65 days is because of a trifecta of uh, forces that are coming together in, in the next 65 days. When you combine the upcoming election with the stresses of the COVID pandemic, uh, with the tensions surrounding the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and now the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake, when you combine those three things together, God needs you to shepherd your flock like never before. Now, here's the good news. God is gonna shepherd you so that you can shepherd others. He's gonna be the chief shepherd over us that are the under shepherds. He is gonna shepherd you so that you can shepherd others. Paul put it this way. He said, the comfort you receive from God, you, you can now share with others. And so he's gonna comfort you. He's gonna shepherd you so that you can comfort, so you can lead, so you can guide, so you can shepherd, you can pastor those within your flock. Uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside uh, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Uh, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Uh, surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament is John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Let's hold it there for just a moment. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Satan also has a plan for the next 65 days. And that is to attack the flock and to scatter it. I loved what Jared prayed earlier, just a couple of minutes ago. He said, we're, we're, he's gonna try to convince us that we are the enemy to each other, that you're the enemy, that I'm the enemy. 
He's going to try to divide us. He's going to try to scatter the flock, try to deceive us that the wolf is not the enemy, but that the fellow sheep are the enemy that hold different perspectives or different views that we do. And he's going to try to scatter the flock. And you know, when we were just singing that song, Egypt, which has now become one of my new favorite worship songs, uh, just the, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And I hadn't had this thought all week. And just during worship, just a couple minutes ago, I had that thought. Let's turn the tables on the wolf. Let, let, let's turn the tables. The God that led his people out of Egypt. The God who delivered us uh, out of our own personal Egypt. May he deliver us from this Egypt that we're in. And I'm praying that whereas the wolf wants to come and scatter the flock, that by the power of God in Purpose Church, in our individual flocks, he is gonna turn the tables on the wolf and we're gonna run from the wolf Satan and it's gonna unify us. It's gonna bring us together. When the wolf attacks, it will unite us rather than scatter us by the grace of God. We're gonna turn the tables on Satan and these next 65 days are gonna be an unprecedented time of reconciliation, of unity together as a church family and in the individual flock that you pastor. Uh, goes on to say the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing, uh, nothing for uh, the, the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Uh, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Goes on to say in verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Now, what Jesus, we believe, is talking about here is the Gentiles. He's speaking to the Jewish people, but he says, I have other sheep, that is non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, that are not of this sheep pen. I have, I have um, people in Southern California in the year 2020 that are not now in this sheep pen that I need to reach them too, and other sheep that are not of this sheep pen that I must bring them also. Uh, some people have conjectured that if there is life on other planets, then Jesus has gone there to die for them as well. And uh, this is real conjecture now. He's most likely 99.999% talking about the Gentiles. But some people say, well, if there is life on other planets, maybe he's talking about sheep on other planets. I, I remember a, a short story book that I read when I was in high school. There was a book of science fiction short stories. And uh, it, it talked about this one astronaut. It was a secular book, wasn't Christian, but he was going from planet to planet chasing Jesus because Jesus was going from planet to planet across the universe um, preaching, teaching, and then dying uh, for the people of that particular planet. And this astronaut just kept chasing Jesus and he kept getting closer and closer and closer and never quite catching up to Jesus. Okay, that is sheer conjecture, but maybe, just maybe, there are sheep on other planets, and uh, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I have other sheep that I have to bring into the sheep pen as well. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, and there shall be one shepherd. One of those important jobs of, of the shepherd is to keep the flock together. 
Well, those important jobs that you have as the shepherd of your flock is that there be one flock and there be one shepherd. And one of those important jobs you have is to unify and to keep the, the flock unified and to keep the flock together. Um, uh, in, in, in the background, um, if you uh, have that there on your screen, uh, in the background there is a, this is an Amish uh, barn moving. And maybe you've uh, seen this online. If, you, uh, if you're not able to see it right now, I think we're having a little bit of technical difficulty right now. But if you're able to see that uh, Amish uh, barn moving, where a bunch of uh, men are together and they are uh, pulling uh, the barn uh, along, uh, let's imagine that this building, there it is, this building is our church. Let's just imagine this building right here, this is our church. And the more unified our church, the more powerful our church. The more unified we are, the more we can move forward. The more unified we are, the more we can reach the lost and take people with us to heaven. The more unified we are, the greater the impact we can make in our community. The more unified we are, the more of a witness we have to the watching world. The more unified we are, the more we can take spiritual territory. The more unified we are, the more we will grow in our walk with Christ. You know, I've seen all kinds of churches. I've seen big, I've seen God bless. Uh, God bless all kinds of churches. I've seen him bless big churches and small churches. I've seen him bless rural churches and urban churches. I've seen God bless traditional churches and contemporary churches, liturgical churches and charismatic churches. But the one kind of church I have never seen God bless is a disunified church. The one flock, the one church that I've never seen God bless is a disunified church. Over the next 65 days, our job as shepherds is to keep unified whatever the flock is that God has called us to shepherd. I uh, often use this illustration with our staff. And now I'm going to challenge you as, as uh, parts of our church family to do uh, the same, as shepherds of your individual flocks to do the same. And I always say to our staff, you carry around two buckets. Wherever you go in your ministry here at Purpose Church, you carry a, a, around two buckets. And one bucket has water in it and one bucket has gasoline on it. And whenever you see a fire, whenever you see the fires of division, uh, within our church family, you have a choice. You can either pour water on it to help put it out, or you can pour gasoline on it that makes it grow bigger. And I would challenge you in the same way, over the next 65 days, every one of you is carrying a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. And you are gonna see the fires of division on social media. You're gonna see the fires of division in your personal friendships and in your relationships. And every one of us have a choice Will we pour water on those fires when we see them, or will we pour gasoline on those fires when we see them? And part of the role of a good shepherd is to pour water. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because you'll be considered the children of God. You're considered a child of God when you pour water on fire rather than gasoline and you bring peace, and never will you be more challenged as a peacemaker than over uh, the next uh, 65 days. Um, I also say to our staff all the time, I tell them to be careful what they put on social media. And I often say, if you wanna shepherd just part of the church, if, if you only wanna shepherd and be a pastor to part of our church family, go ahead and put whatever you want to on social media. Let her rip, 
Whatever you think about, let it, out, let it be out there. But if you want to shepherd the entire church, be kind and thoughtful about what you put on social media. If you want to just shepherd part of it, say whatever you want to say. But if you want to shepherd the entire church family at Purpose Church, um, which has such a diversity of, of thought and ideas and perspective, um, then be kind and thoughtful about what you put on social media. And I would say the same thing to you. I'd say the exact same thing to you. Um, if you're oikos, the 8 to 15, that you're going to heaven and you're trying to bring with you, that you're trying to uh, re reach for Christ, uh, if your oikos is like my oikos, you have both Democrats and Republicans in your oikos. I'm betting that you have a mixture of Democrats and Republicans in your oikos. So I'll just say, if you only want to share Jesus with those that are from your own political party, go ahead and put out there anything you want. Let her rip, uh, even if it puts a barrier up to the others that you want to reach for Christ. Um, just put whatever you want there on social media. But if you want to reach all, if you want to share Jesus with everyone in your Oikos group, with everyone, then we've got to be more kind and thoughtful and gracious and sensitive with what we put on social media. And in our conversations, in our personal conversations, the things we say as well. Uh, let me also encourage you uh, to be sensitive with what you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be careful in your life group or on social media that what you say doesn't divide the flock, but instead it is helpful and kind and humble and gracious to unite the flock. Uh, Satan would just love to tear us apart as a church over the next 65 days. He, he, he dreams, he is salivating at the thought of how he's gonna tear us apart over the next 60 to 65 days. Now, I, I, I want you to know, as your pastor, that uh, I am gonna do everything possible uh, with God's help, with God's help. I'm gonna do everything possible to shepherd us as a church well through the next 65 days. When the Holy Spirit says to speak, I'm going to speak. When the Holy Spirit says to remain silent, I'm going to remain silent. When the Holy uh, Spirit uh, says to listen, I'm going to listen. But I am asking for your grace. I'm asking for your grace. Because unlike Jesus, our chief shepherd, I am a very, very flawed leader with all kinds of blind spots and and, and weaknesses. Unlike our chief shepherd, I am a very flawed leader. I've got all kinds of blind spots and I've got all kinds of weaknesses. Uh, Pastor uh, Brian uh, from uh, our uh, Claremont campus, he sent me this article uh, the other day uh, from the Colson Institute, the Colson Center, the Chuck Colson Center. It was written by John Stone Street and uh, Maria Baer. It says, pastoring is always a difficult job. I can't think of another job, in fact, in which someone is hired to do one thing, typically lead and disciple God's people, but evaluated on a completely different thing, namely growing the audience and the budget. Pastoring during coronavirus seems even more unenviable. Zoom stock might be way up as the new preferred platform for corporations and schools, but there is no digital substitute for the sort of face-to-face -face work pastoring requires. When to close down was a tough decision. 
when to reopen our churches is even more difficult. If pastors choose to strictly adhere to state guidelines, they will upset people. If they ignore or relax those guidelines, they upset other people. In almost every church I know of, pastors face a no-win proposition right now. In addition to navigating a global pandemic, pastors must also deal with our already intense and only intensifying cultural firestorms. While we all must navigate the issues of race, sexuality, and gender, criminal justice, political divisions, and other markers of our fallen human nature that dominate this cultural moment, pastors face expectations that many of us don't. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this phrase on social media recently. If your pastor doesn't preach about X, uh, fill in the blanks, from the pulpit this Sunday, it's time to find a new church. Same phrase, but the X or the fill in the blank changes with the headlines. Now don't get me wrong. As the true account of the human condition, the Bible has this quality of universal relevance. Pastors should make the connection between the timeless truths of scripture and our particular context, both in their preaching and in their leading. There are times that to not address something from the pulpit is to be louder than addressing it. And churches that never address controversial issues risk giving their people the impression that the Bible is our own personal private collection of encouragements rather than the personal, public, and true account of the human condition. At the same time, the loud demands placed today on pastors to not only hold but to articulate our approved opinions reveals more about us than about our pastors. After all, if we are confident our pastor is called by God and entrusted by him to lead us into his word and his will, that leaves little room for making demands on what he teaches. Also, our loud demands that a pastor talk about subject X almost always really means say specifically what I want him to say about subject X. But that also means we're not really looking for a pastor or a teacher anymore. We're looking for a parrot. Do we want a pastor or a parrot? The demands pastors face can range from mountains to molehills, but in too many cases they are treated the same. To bring up the most common elephant in the sanctuary today, everyone has strong feelings about masks. I do. I do too. I know I do. But being asked to wear a mask in church by pastors seeking to comply with civic authorities or protect the health of parishioners is not a matter of orthodoxy. This is not a sufficient cause of outrage or of making demands for our pastors' compliance, and it's certainly not worth leaving a church over. What is really at stake here is what we all need to foster, a proper ecclesiology. That's a 50-cent word for the doctrines of the church. When we view church like we do so much of 21st century Western life as consumers, we'll see church as a place to be entertained or affirmed in our feelings and in our views. That, rather than a fidelity to Christ and his gospel, is what's driving so much of the entitlement we feel and pastors face. Now, every church and every Christian, of course, ought to expect and demand that pastors preach the true word of God with passion and courage. We ought never allow a pastor to abuse his power or his position in exploiting the congregation. Still, we ought never demand that our pastor never disagree with us. 
the holy willingness of a pastor to say what's true is only matched by the holy willingness of Christ followers to hear what we may not like. And again, don't leave a church over, over a mask. <laughs> now, another practical thing that we can do is to pray together over the next 65 days. And I encourage you to do that personally. I encourage you to pray with your friends and with your life group over the next 65 days. Uh, the Duets Life Group um, is sponsoring a prayer meeting on the community terrace every Monday night at 6 p.m. from now until the election. And they did this four years ago, and I went two or three times, and I just found it to be a beautiful thing. It was totally nonpartisan. I was so pleased that there was not this, oh, God, help my candidate to win or, um, or help this candidate to uh, drop dead or anything like that. It was beautiful, nonpartisan, just seeking God together for his will for ourselves and for our nation. And so I encourage you, it's open to everybody, 6 p.m., Monday nights, on the community terrace uh, from here until the election. This is our moment to rise up and, and to the best of our ability and with God's help to, to, to shepherd the flocks that God has placed under our care. The next 65 days is the Olympics of shepherding. Let's rise to the occasion. Warren Wiersbe writes about Peter in 1 Peter. He says in 1 Peter, Peter was concerned that the leadership in the local churches be at its best. When the fiery trial would come, the believers in the assemblies would look to their elders, their pastors, their shepherds for encouragement and for direction. Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and of controversy. Cesar Chavez uh, writes, we draw our strength from the very despair in which we have been forced to live. We shall endure. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt writes, we cannot avoid meeting great issues. All that we can determine for ourselves is whether we shall meet them well or ill. And then Mike Tomlin, you all know that I'm a Packers fan. My favorite team is the Green Bay Packers, but my favorite coach is Mike Tomlin. Whenever I see him on the sidelines with that big old cross around his neck right in front of the TV cameras, I can't stop myself. I have to root for the Steelers whenever I see Mike Tomlin there. Uh, he says, we don't live in our fears. We live in our hopes. And then uh, Rosalind uh, Carter uh, writes, and I love this quote, I love this quote, a leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader or a great shepherd, a, a great shepherd of your flock takes people where they don't necessarily want to go but ought to be. Now, what are the personal qualities that make for a successful shepherd? Uh, first of all is a vital experience with Christ, a thriving, vital experience with Jesus. It is all about uh, Jesus. Um, John writes in, about Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so Jesus uh, created everything. God, God created everything uh, through him. Uh, the heavens and, and the universe and the galaxies. 
Uh, David writes in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, which is, which is our star. The sun is our star. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And so uh, David and and, uh, and John say that through Jesus, all the universe was created. And, and so if he did all of that, he can shepherd us through what we're going through now. And then in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17, we've gone big, now let's go small. I love these three verses. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Isn't it interesting that he says also the things that are invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Isn't that amazing that 2,000 years ago, Paul writes, in Jesus, everything from the atoms to the galaxies, it all holds together. And so the first key to being a successful uh, shepherd is a vital experience with Christ. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, to the elders uh, among you, I appeal as a fellow elder or, or pastor he's talking about here, or sometimes they call it bishop. I appeal to you as a fellow pastor and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory uh, to be revealed. Um, if you want to be a successful shepherd to your flock, you need to have a thriving relationship with the chief shepherd, with Jesus. Paul wrote to a younger pastor. He, an older pastor, was mentoring a younger pastor named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, he said to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. That is, in, in your walk with Christ. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. We as shepherds, we need to always be growing. One of our core values here at Purpose Church is growing people change. Uh, growing people change. People ought to be able to see our progress, our spiritual growth. And then he says in verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. If you're a shepherd, be careful how you live your life, what you watch, what you listen to, what you think about. Watch your life and watch your doctrine. Make sure that what we teach or preach or share doesn't vary one molecule from God's perfect, holy word. Be, watch your life and your doctrine. Watch it closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You will go to heaven and you will take your oikos, your flock, with you. And then number two, a second character trait of a successful good shepherd is a loving connection, a loving concern for God's sheep. A loving, love God and love his sheep. Love the flock that you serve. Uh, Psalm 100, verse three. 
No, the Lord is God, is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah writes, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Can we hold it there for just a second? I, I never, this never jumped out to me until just uh, like yesterday, just, just this week. He gently leads those that have young. You parents that Pastor Eric was praying about earlier, you're going through it right now, aren't you? With, with school, online, or with homeschooling, or, or, or whatever, just the stress of COVID, even if they're not school age. You as parents with young children, you, you've got a lot of stress right now, don't you? He says that your shepherd, Jesus, gently leads those, especially those that have young. He is especially concerned for you parents with young children right now. Uh, Jesus gave the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Who is somebody in your flock that is a lost sheep right now? That's where most of your energy uh, should be. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Earlier in 1 Peter, he writes in chapter two, verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. In heaven, one of the descriptions of heaven by John in Revelation 7, verse 17, for the lamb, and this is so interesting, he talks about Jesus as a lamb, but then Jesus will be a shepherd. For the lamb who died on the cross for us at the center of the throne will be our shepherd in heaven. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so Peter challenges us to feed the flock of God. Verse two of First uh, Peter chapter five, he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your, your care. In Acts chapter 20, um, Paul gave these final words to the shepherds, the pastors, uh, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. It was the last time he was gonna speak to them. It was his farewell address. And he said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. Verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the, the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And then Peter says to take uh, the oversight. He says in the remainder of uh, verse two of chapter five, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, oversight, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager uh, to serve. Uh, Paul wrote to his young pastor that he was mentoring, Timothy, chapter two, verse four, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. 
but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Let's apply this to being a shepherd. No one serving as a shepherd, let's go back to that verse one more time. No one serving as a shepherd gets entangled in civilian affairs, but we want to please the chief, the commanding officer, uh, the chief shepherd. Uh, Your assignment from the commanding officer, the last command that our commander-in-chief Jesus gave before he went to heaven, it's called the Great Commission. His last command was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. His last command was to go to heaven and join him in heaven and bring your flock with you. Uh, But he says here, don't get involved in civilian affairs. Keep your focus on the final command of your commanding officer. Go to heaven Take your flock with you. Now, I want you to know that in the Gunderson family, we love politics. It is in our blood. (laughs) My mother's maiden name was Nixon, and so that ought to give you um, a a clue. And uh, our daughter, Abby, and our son-in-law, Kenny, they are right in the thick of things. Uh, They are in Washington, D.C. right now, and I mean it, right in the thick of things. I could tell you stories. Um, uh, but I'm not allowed to, so I won't tell you those stories, but oh my goodness. Uh, and, and, and we believe in politics. We believe politics can tremendously be used for good. Um, just this last week, uh, Abby texted me and said that across her desk came a significant grant for Pomona, her home city that she grew up in, uh, to help foster kids that are aged out of the foster care system um, to help them with their housing needs so they don't end up being homeless. That's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So we, we love politics. We believe in it. But we do not need it to distract us from the, as civilian affairs. Over the next 65 days, let, let not politics, civilian affairs, distract us from pleasing ultimately our commanding officer. Make sure that civilian affairs don't distract you from the last command that the chief shepherd gave us before he went to heaven. If you've never committed your life to Christ, I wanna give you a chance to do it right now. Just three phrases you say, sorry, thank you, and please. Oh, just pray right now where you are, your heart go out. God, I'm sorry for the wrong and the sin in my life. I'm like that lost sheep that needs to repent as Jesus talked about. But thank you, Jesus, for being the Lamb of God and dying on the cross for me. Just say sorry, then say thank you. Please, Jesus, come into my life, come into my heart. Be my shepherd from this day forward. And then the final thing Peter says is be an example to the flock. He says in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You can't lead people where you yourself have not gone. Uh, Warren Wearsby uh, writes, he says, I know of a church that was constantly having financial problems, and no one could understand why. After the pastor left, it was discovered that he had not himself contributed to the work of the church. He wasn't given anything to the church himself, but had preached sermons telling others to contribute. He was telling other people to give, but he wasn't giving. He was challenging other people to be generous, but he himself was not generous. We cannot lead people where we have not been ourselves. And then number three, a desire to please Christ alone. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's end with Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. 
And I want to pray this as a, as a blessing over you, my church family. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever and ever. And all God's family, wherever you are, said,